Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Leeds Up podcast. I'm James and I'm with Rocco Dean. Hello. The podcast is proudly sponsored by BassandBly.com, Yorkshire's premier optics retailer. They sell binoculars, cameras, spotting scopes. I missed out camera lenses. They do camera lenses as well. They do all sorts of repairs to photographic gear as well. A top-notch business based in Harrogate. Their website is www.BassandBly.com. Tell people anything else about Bass and Bly, Rocco. Yeah, uh, how to spell it. I mean, the link's in this podcast description somewhere, but it's B-A-S-S-A-N-D-B-L-I-G-H.com, bassandbly.com. You'd have never guessed it, I don't think. When we, sorry, when we interviewed Dara, Dara said, we missed the bats and bly. But I was like, don't worry, I had that in afterwards. But I just thought it was funny that he got the name wrong. I've been inundated with requests on how to find them because I couldn't spell it right. So yeah, hopefully this clears it up. Clear that inbox of a thousand messages. Um, right, so straight into it. The season is fully over, and uh, everyone's in. Everyone's just in latest news mode, aren't they? Just want to know what's going on. The anxiety is crippling a lot of fans, I think, isn't it? Yes. Um, do you have? Do you have to release a, an apology for White Smoke Gate? What am I apologising for? Tweeting some White Smoke, apparently. <laughs> a lot of people got mad at that. A lot are uh, very mad. I mean, I won't say either way that we know stuff or we don't. All I'll say is keep watching everything that's going on. But if you had have looked closely at that tweet as well, the thread underneath was, under the white smoke, was Philip Schofield vaping. So I thought, what's wrong with that? I thought it was funny. Well, not as funny as the response of some people, but uh, yeah, a good tweet. Someone, someone sent a really nasty message in the DMs, actually. I won't say who it was. And then blocked us. Thanks. Everything is centered around the takeover at the minute, or the or the proposed takeover. Rumors of takeovers happening, and last couple of weeks we've started to gain more traction. Yeah, a lot of journalists sort of were very quiet with it to begin with, but that's starting to pick up pace now. And but just rewinding the clock a bit as as well. Last week was Radrizani put out a statement on Twitter 
and it was released from Acer, which is his company. And that was a bit odd, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very odd. It was it was bizarre, really. I mean, I just I straight away just thought it was like a yeah negotiating tactic. Obviously, with it not being from the club itself, and then yeah, like the next day it came out about him trying to use the ground to to secure a loan to buy Sampdoria. I mean, it's just wild, isn't it? Like I, I sort of at that point I'm thinking like. Is he actually having a breakdown? Like, what is he doing? Like, I don't know. We don't know these people. And I know I've had some bad things to say about Radrizani and him not being at the game and stuff against Spurs. But I really wouldn't have thought he'd have sunk so low as to try and do that. It That really took me by surprise. Yeah, the statement was, it was clearly Radrizani on his own because he was, it wasn't through the official club channels and it was very much, you know, looking looking at what's going to happen over the next year and saying that he's basically still in charge. And there's a few people on various chats on WhatsApp who were sort of panicking about it, but I immediately just thought it was just nonsense. You could kind of tell the way it was, it was going. And I think like you say there, you know, we don't know what's going on in his life, but certain things we do know that have kind of been in public domain. And I know MP Silver, which was the company that he did own previously and sold it. And that's kind of what he made his money to invest in Leeds was there, I think, allegedly, not, I'm going to say allegedly, just to sort of cover myself because I don't know, I should probably do more research, but I'm fairly sure there's a court case going on there and you don't know what kind of financial impact that has because that was a, like a sum of hundreds and hundreds of millions for the sale of that. There's things like that. There might be stuff in his personal life that are going on that are, that are affecting him. But the reason why I say that is because like, like you, Rocco, it felt so out of character because sort of behave in that way where you've built this really close relationship with a professional investment vehicle like the 49ers enterprise it, it doesn't strike me there's the sort of behavior that you would go on if you were kind of thinking clearly that's just my opinion obviously yeah i know i'm i'm the same really and uh, yeah it's the sort of thing you just you know and his reaction when when the athletic contacted him about it you know and he, you know the way he brushed it off so nonsensically you know saying that it, it wasn't anything to do with anything and they're trying to turn him against him the fans against him you know makes absolutely no sense you know it's just yeah I, I was completely yeah just yeah dumbfounded really so well hopefully we don't have to worry about about him anymore fairly soon yeah and uh, only time will tell over the next few days i think that we'll we'll probably get some news Either way, either way it goes, let's say that. But but it's it's sounding more and more promising. And I think, we'd you know, in terms of the takeover, the club just needs to know where we're at. You know, we're at a key point in the season, like we said on the podcast last week, that we just need that to be clear because then everything else can start to fall into place. You know, as a manager, as a director of football, you're not really going to jump into a, a business that you don't really know who's running it. Like, why would you? You know, it seems just a massive risk for your career. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, you know, it, it's all about just the timing of it and getting it done now. You know, it seems like it's going to happen. So, yeah, the sooner the better. And then we can all can all crack on. And if they do get it done in the next week, which I think I saw someone tweet, I think maybe Popey just tweeted that, or someone did anyway, about, you know, wanting to, to get it done. That would be great. Yeah, I was sort of worried that it was going to sort of drag on into into July, as these things normally do. So. I, I tried to put your mind at rest because in the in the chat I think you say this is going to rumble on. I said I don't think it will. I think you know I think I think we're going to move on this because the stakes are too high, aren't they? You know, 
the end of the day, if someone's going to buy, like, oh, they're already invested in it, you know, and, and that investment has dropped because they bought a lot of that stake at a peak price when we were in the Premier League. So you think actually now's the time to act. And I think if they want to turn it around, they can't really wait. Yeah, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And yeah, it's a buyer's market now, isn't it? They're getting the club cheaper. Obviously, it's a it's a step backwards and it's a really, really tough job they've got on their hands, you know, whether they're good owners or not. Even if they are really good owners, it's still a tough job, you know, just that it's, even if they're sensible, intelligent people and do the right things, you know, there's absolutely no guarantee it's going to work. And that's the nature of football. But uh, yeah, hopefully... Hopefully they have the ambition and they're decisive and they've got some plans in place and, and things start moving forward very quickly. And I suppose there are concerns with 49ers as well, just in, as there would be with any owners, you know, it's not directly aimed at, at, at them as an entity, but, you know, when someone new comes on board, we've had it in the past, you know, well, we've definitely had it in the past and that's why we probably scrutinise it more and we, we question it even more because we have had owners that just don't have the interests of the club at heart. But what, what are the kind of major concerns that stand out for you with, with 49ers? I mean, it's all speculative, really. But, you know, the way that they've, you know, they have been a very significant partner in all this. You know, they've got 44% stake. They've had that for at least, well, over a year. I think maybe getting on to 18 months. But, you know, even still. Do you think they missed a trick not getting 49% stake? <laughs> well, definitely. I mean, that's just a... <laughs> That's just a, a obvious marketing strategy. Sorry, uh, sorry, I can't lose it. But yeah, even even before then, they had like thirty-seven or thirty-four or something. So you know, they've always been there. So you know, I, I, you know, put blame on them for the decisions that have been made. The main thing for me, I think, was saddling us with this situation where they put the club in limbo just at the point where we were actually on the cusp of, of being a force again. And it seems like everything's just gone backwards since then. You know, it, it you know, Radvizani was not focused anymore. No one really knew what was going to happen. And yeah, to sign a deal that put us in that situation for two years, you know, fair enough. They may have just, it, they wouldn't have maybe thought that it was going to go like that. You know, we had Bielsa at the helm and, and everything was going okay. But yeah, you know, Looking back, it was it was a schoolboy error, really. And, you know, I didn't call that out at the time. I don't think, you know, I don't know of anybody who sort of was worried that that, that would be a problem, having that deal set up. So, you know, it's hard really to criticise looking back, but you'd like to think these clever people <laughs> would, would sort of know better because it's really screwed us over in the end. Well, it, it's also what we don't know there is that we don't know whether... Radrazani wanted to sell at that point as well and you know if he you have to be willing to sell you have to have a willing buyer and you have to have a willing seller and if he's not willing to sell then that creates that split ownership so the split ownership was a problem of the whole thing the whole whole of Leeds United where decisions were just taking too long to go through Jack Harrison prime example and yeah so I, I part of me thinks could that now disappear because if 49ers do come in and do a full takeover, there's no more of this split decision at a board level where it's, you know, you've got Andreas potentially in Italy, you've got Angus Kinnear in the UK, and you've got four people that represent the board of 49ers on, you know, Pacific time. So you would hope that actually having a singular entity, and maybe that's Kinnear, 
and a director of football, if they come in saying, this is what we're going to do and they get autonomy to do it, then, then great. That, that creates less friction there. But then yeah. it might create more friction with fans giving the career control. But, but that, that's speculation at the minute. I don't, don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know, there's, there's so many unknowns. We don't know how the how the club's really been operating. You know, we don't know what power they had, if any. So, you know, I'm I'm completely willing to just you know give them a clean slate as as new owners. You know, doing it their way, and and hope for the best. I mean, one thing that you know people have pointed to, you know, how much money they're worth. It you know it makes us one of the you know one of the richest clubs in the country. But you know, they they're an investment arm. So, you know, everything that they invest in this club has to get signed off at some point. You know, they're not just, you know, they don't just have a load of cash swimming around either. You know, I imagine, you know, the cash is tied up in assets and stuff. And yeah, they have to get approval for, or I imagine they would have to get approval for investments that they make. And, you know, so they're not just going to try and blitz the championship and and throw, you know, hundreds of millions at it to to ensure promotion because, you know, that's too risky. You'd expect them to, yeah, to be a bit more, bit more careful and pragmatic about it and you know they've still got the resources to blitz the championship but yeah i, I don't think we're gonna sort of suddenly yeah just be be throwing money left right and center I, I don't think that at all no and i think it's impossible for us to do that with the nature of where we are and ffp in terms of you know our revenues dropped by like 50 million this year and all of a sudden you've got all these all this expenditure from the last year on on transfers so outgoings and that's why we're talking like double figures for outgoings in in the transfer window is because we for we have to satisfy our ffp we have to financially be able to look after ourselves so yeah i think there's layers to that yeah it's like it's ffp is on three years worth of earnings though isn't it so we we might be all right for the time being but then it could get pretty murky i don't really know how it works to be fair yeah and to be fair to Kinnear as well and you know, just from reading everything that's been written about the club over the last few years, we have been very tight on that. There's not been any sort of smoke and mirrors to kind of hide expenditure and, and try and trick FFP. And I quite, I like that. I like that we're doing that. You know, I think that's the sensible yeah. route. As frustrating as it might be at times where we don't get players or things that we need, you know, at least we're going about it in a sensible manner. I think you have to, especially when you've got someone like 49ers potentially working with you, kind of have to be squeaky clean as well. Yeah. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. One of the things that I did this week for the benefit of everyone else and not myself was listen to a Jake Humphrey podcast. I It's the High Performance podcast. I mean, everyone, yeah, a lot of people slag it off, don't they? And I can see why. But they had a, a guest on it. They had Paul Barber, who's the CEO of Brighton Football Club. And I wanted to listen to it because I just wanted to see what a different kind of state leads are in comparison to Brighton. And it was a real eye-opener, actually, of of how they've had this vision for Brighton for the last 10 years. You know, he's been there that whole time, and his vision has been very, very clear. And 
communicated in the club from, you know, like people in the canteen to team members to coaches, stuff, et cetera, sort of saying, you know, when we're a Premier League team, these things are going to happen. And I think they've always tried to sort of punch above where they are in terms of their vision and, and communicating that vision. And some people have been, he said, have been a bit kind of like, oh, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but but everything has. And it just amazed me how well thought out and planned everything is and what a quality leader he is. And, you know, this whole thing of leads that's been talked about over the years of like doing the Leicester model, doing this model, they're very much, uh, they have their own kind of clear identity of how they want to operate. And I think because he's got, he's got like a good business background and, and leading big teams, he sort of knows, knows how to apply it into, into football as well. And yeah, it was just a really interesting listen. And it's probably, I, I would recommend you go and have a listen, but you do kind of see what we've been lacking. You know, we haven't had that clarity from, I think we've said it actually in, in the middle of the season around vision, like we don't know what the club's wanting to achieve, especially whilst we were sort of in the stasis of having 49ers on, on the board and Radrizani, it's like, what is the plan? Like no one's telling us anything. If, if we don't know it, people in the club don't really know it. And it doesn't really give you a chance to build. And it's probably why we've gone backwards. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, it, you know, in, you could say that we had plans ourselves and, and we were, you know, we only went away from them when it started going terribly wrong. So, you know, we made plans, but we made bad plans, whereas they've made good plans and they've done it really, really well. And yeah, you know, not only losing Potsy, you know, Chelsea took a lot of their staff, didn't they? And, you know... It, did they say the director of football as well? Or Ash Ashworth's gone to Newcastle, but okay. but that was a massive loss for them. You know, that was someone who's kind of helped build the the club to where it is, and he's left. And but the, that was a really interesting thing was that when they talked about vision, it was always this idea of have we got the people internally to promote and move around if things change like this. So when Ashworth went, they'd been looking at. David Weir for like the last few years and testing his appetite of whether he wanted to go into that role to replace him. And if he didn't, then they need to make plans of for, for a successor to come in there. As it turned out, he slotted into that role. They let him trial it for three months to see whether he liked it and they liked it. And then they sort of gave him the role. And that made me think, yeah, that is precisely what we're lacking. Like we talked about it a lot recently but about succession plans but it's through everything in that club they have a succession plan and sometimes yeah obviously it'll be like a curveball and someone comes in for your best your best player or a key asset within the team but they always seem to be thinking like who have we got internally to shift around if not where do we go with this yeah. the Zerbi was a classic example of that like he's arguably I mean it's early days isn't it but arguably a much better manager than Potter as well so yeah, definitely. I know I've I've said previously as well. You know, it it does make it easier for Brighton the fact that they're they're doing so well, and you know, they go out looking for a player and he's slotting into a team that's successful, brimming brimming with confidence. You know, it's going to make the the environment is a lot more a lot easier to succeed in rather than you know if we were signing one of the players that they've signed. You know, he's coming into a struggling team with no experience in and no manager and no plan. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, there's probably no wonder that our signings don't work half the time in the, in the way things have gone in the last year. But yeah, it is it is really impressive, and yeah, it just just makes you long for good owners. I mean, like we've never we've never ever had it really. You know, since you know Leslie Silver and Fotherby and Wilkinson, you know, took us out of 
out of well, into Division One and, and made us champions. And even before that, you know, like when Don Revy left, they absolutely they, like they couldn't have done worse. You know, they just completely like tore everything to pieces in no time. So yeah, I don't know why we always suffer so badly with them, but I, th- I think it's changing now. Yeah, and I think that's it. Is you know we're focusing like the key question I ask with, is what are the concerns with Forty ers But there's loads of positives to it as well. Like you just said there, you know that the fact that we haven't really had stable owners for a long, long time. Like Radrizani, stable, you know he stabilised things for us. Like we can't can't argue against that. You know he came in, sorted us out, and regardless of the story to get there, he did get us to the the Premier League, and that's that's what they always set out to achieve. But I think now it's kind of when you've when you've tasted the Premier League and you've looked under the hood of clubs like Brighton, seeing how well they run, you realise where the holes are with us at this level and where it's got to change. So I think the positives are that you get a an organisation, Forty Nine Enterprises, with masses of experience, or people with masses of experience of running sporting institutions in the states. Then there's a lot of positives for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's the thing about Radvizani. You know, it did. He did bring us back. Yeah, I think he's wiped it all out. You know, what's the point of bringing us back when you've once we got there, he's failed so so spectacularly. So I think that that undoes all the good in my in my head. Sadly, yeah, I I probably agree with you to be honest. Which is a shame for him because he should. He, had he just got out at the right point, it would have left on a high, wouldn't it? But there we go. Yeah, but we'll thank him for Bielsa, obviously. Yeah, cheers. So. Linked managers, the rumour mill is like, well, it, there's a rumour about everything at the minute, but managers is kind of the next one because we know we're going to need that. <laughs> we're going to need someone to coach these lot, whoever's remaining. And uh, the main ones that came up in, in the news or rumoured press this week were Carlos Corbran, Stephen Gerrard and Scott Parker. <laughs> God. What were your thoughts on that, Rock? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I mean, I don't think I don't want Gerard, but I'm not as against it as a lot of people are. Like there was uproar really when he was linked. But I mean, I just come like I, I really liked watching his Rangers team in the Europa League. Thought they were really good, but then obviously their Aston his Aston Villa team was absolutely shocking and like you know time wasting, cheating, just the every, the worst of everything basically. And then obviously you look at how well they've done since, and that's exactly the same as when Lampard left Chelsea and Tuchel made them European champions immediately. So, yeah, I don't want him, but I, yeah, I was, I don't know. I thought, I thought it was a bit of an overreaction. You know, if he gets appointed, I'd be behind him. But yeah, my, I don't want him. My worry with Gerard is a bit like Jesse Marsh in that he could do it in the smaller leagues with the best players of that league, but couldn't translate it into, into the Premier League. And I think, you know, is that, could that happen with Gerard? I don't know. Same with the, uh, I can't pronounce his name. I'll let you do it. Celtic boss who just moved to Spurs. Ah, oh, and and <laughs> same same with him. Like that's it's a massive risk for them. You know, it's like he he sounds the part. His team have played have played really really well. His his win percentage ratio is seventy five percent or something ridiculous. But it is always going to be that. Can you translate that into a league that just has? such high quality players, high quality teams. And the championship, you know, is a lesser version of that, but still the same sort of beast. I think I, yeah, I quite like that guy. I'm interested to see how he does. I think I think it's the right sort of appointment for Spurs. I think they needed someone who 
was sort of moving up in their career rather than someone who's, you know, probably too big for them and, you know, stepping down to try and like pull them up to their level, which hasn't worked for him. So yeah, see how he does. He seems a good guy. But yeah, yeah, for us, I don't know. I think, I think I would want, I think I'd want Cobra on, to be honest. I'd, I think I'd quite like, uh, like to give him a shot. The, just the one thing is if it doesn't go very well, I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I wouldn't like him to be vilified, really. We tend to go to a safe place of what we know, don't we? You know, like Cobra, he's always been in the club. Yeah, we should probably get him back. But, and, and we do it with players. We do it all the time, don't we? Like, oh, let's get, let's get Berardi back. Let's get past. I heard someone earlier saying that we should get Pablo back. It's like, what? what? I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, time has passed and I don't think he could do it now, unfortunately. I probably could. I don't know. He's pretty awesome. So, yeah, I mean, who would you not like discounting those three? Who would you actually want as your, as your manager, apart from Bielsa? I'd, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I'd want someone. I, I, I don't know. I really can't say. I, I think I. I mean, I think I'd probably want Rogers, but then again, I, I'm not sure. I'm a bit like Chilino. Don't know about um, don't know about the managers until you crack them open like a watermelon. Have I, you got any thoughts? Have you got any burning desires? I would love Nuno Espirito Santo, but as we talked about last week on the podcast, he manages Al Etihad in Saudi Arabia, and since then they've signed Benzema. So potentially next season they're going to have Helder Costa assisting Benzema. Unless he fancies coming back and assisting Bamford, which I don't think is going to happen, is it? No, no. He won't get, well, Bamford will miss, so it'll just be expected assist, won't it? But on that, yeah, that, that's who I would I would love someone like that. You know, where they've done it at this level, they're a, a they are a quality manager who would get a lot out of our team, the youth players in particular as well. But I just, I just don't know whether it'll happen. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks with that. But on Saudi Arabia at the minute, it's just quickly that it's crazy how much like they're pouring into players and taking them over to the side i saw angolo kante is potentially going there as well now and it's it's yeah it's getting bonkers yeah china tried to do it didn't they a few years ago yeah be good let's uh, let's get get rid of all the super players and uh, yeah make the football league proper again that'd be nice yeah, yeah it's a good point and yeah. That, oh yeah if we could you know all a lot of these players that we need to offload <laughs> I mean, we should be out there. Like, we should. Kinnear should be conducting his meetings in Saudi Arabia right now. Maybe he is. Yeah, maybe he is. You were saying that uh, Rabbitani wanted to give him the job at some point in the future. Yeah, I saw. What, some, what do you think about that? I saw. I didn't see the whole story of that, but I heard someone say he was on the radio uh, doing his job interview for Leeds United today, which I think is probably fair. But yeah, at what point was that? You know, was that when we sacked uh, Gracia or, you know, like. <laughs> Difficult to know, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That'd be doesn't seem like Rabadani's style really, does it? Just yeah. buttering him up. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that would be that would be out of the box. I'm not expecting that one. Prefer him to Gerard though. We've got on our prep sheet here. We've done a prep sheet. I mean, we should do this more often actually, because it's actually worked quite well. We've we've put predictions review. Were you gonna review our predictions, Rocker? Yes, I'm gonna review them. So yeah, we we should have kept tracking actually because it was actually quite interesting. Me and you will we'll, we'll know that for next season. Yeah. We need to get better. This is why we need right. So I'm going to put it out there now. We are going to do a prep sheet for every podcast rocker, and we will get better. Wait, okay. 
Yeah, I think we were just too depressed to even bother looking at it, weren't we, as the, as the season drew on. But uh, yeah, we were level pegging. And then the two old draw in Newcastle, I'd predicted two all, and that, that just just put me ahead of you. And I ended up winning. I got 23 points, you got 21, and Paul got 16. I take it back. We shouldn't do this. <laughs> well, it gets worse, James. Trust me. So oh, God. When, we, when we look at the. The, the the final league record as we predicted by our our results. Um, I, I can edit this out. And remember that, Rocker. <laughs> well, uh, I won because I was the most <laughs> oh, classic. I had us down getting thirty nine points, so still far too optimistic. Yeah, you had us on forty eight points, Jeez. and Paul had us on fifty points. What so a lunatic. Yeah, we did very badly, really. We Worse didn't. Still. Leeds United did badly. We did. <laughs> Worse still. So we did expected top scorer. Uh, now, again, point for me, I think, for not picking Bamford, because I think I said he was going to have a crap season. I went for Gelhart. You and <laughs> you and Paul went for Bamford. Oh, for crying out loud. Youth player of the season, we all missed. Uh, I go Gelhart? No, I went Gelhart. You went Gelhart. Paul went Greenwood. Paul, Most in- Paul won that then, basically. Yeah, but we'll give Paul that. Most impressive signing is horrible. Me and you went for Brendan Aronson, the <laughs> worst midfielder in the Premier League, according to Sofa Score or something. And Paul went for the worst right back in the league, Christensen. Bloody hell. Why do did people Christ- listen to this? Did Christensen get in the worst team? I think he did. I don't know. Anyway. But it does make me realise, like, yeah, why do you listen to this podcast? Don't listen well, to us. Don't listen to our opinions. You can listen to mine. I got, I got, <laughs> well, I got buy a book whilst you're listening to those <laughs> opinions. I got, I put down for player of the season, Harrison, which I gave it to last week without actually knowing I'd said that. So that's good. Paul said Sinistera. So a bit unfortunate there, really. And uh, yeah, James, you said Harris, uh, sorry, Aronson. Oh. I was I was drunk on the little American. I thought he was. I was. I thought he was sweet. I did as well. But I. I was I, like I'd seen him for about three minutes when he played for Salzburg against Bayern Munich, and he did some really nice stuff. I, I was excited. I have to admit. Anyway, final position. I had us down as sixteenth. Paul fourteenth, and you had us down as twelfth. Jeez, what an idiot. We'll definitely track that next season because it is interesting to see how wild our predictions are. The thing is, it's like second season of Bielsa, that was easier because you knew what was happening. When you've got a swath, a massive amount of new players, it's like quite difficult. Um, yeah. Interesting. So uh, positives of life in the EFL. I mean, today and the last few days, we started to see statements, sort of, well, you call them statements, but they're comments coming through from social media. I think there was one from... Woba today, which was a bit ambiguous as to whether they're going to stay. And I suppose they don't know because they don't know what the club's plans are with them as well. So it's, it's, you can read into it and sort of say, oh, it sounds like he's going, but it, equally they just probably don't know because it's, it's not, it's some of it and a lot of it might be out of their hands. Yeah. What, what, you know, the sort of positives you're feeling of life in the EFL? Because we've, we've seen it coming for a while. And, you know, when you, when you start to look at it in the face of it, you think, oh, God, I like, we're going to drop down. We're never going to come back. We're going to have to sell players. It's going to be a complete rebuild. What's going to happen with manager? What's going to happen with direct football? Yada, yada, yada. But what, what are the actual positives in your in your view? I think there definitely are positives. I think the first one, I think, is a positive. 
is VAR, um, which I have a sworn hatred of. But at the same time, I am interested to see, you know, now we really will find out what we think because, you know, we can all claim to hate it. But next season, you know, when we're not getting penalties or giving away penalties that would have been overturned, I'm sure people will, will be really, really angry. But yeah, for me, it's always that thing of when a goal goes in, you know, the amount of goals it ruins because you're not sure if it's going to be disallowed. And yeah, that's that's a killer for me. So I'm looking forward to getting rid of VAR and seeing how that goes. Yeah, I think that's, that, I think that's the main thing. The other thing as well, and I know like some people have been complaining about the 46-game season. I think that's great. Like, the more the better. Like, I love midweek games. Like... Like it just breaks up the week. It makes the week so much easier. What you want is a forty-nine game week, don't you? Beyond brand. Yeah, on the on VAR, it's uh, it's interesting. When I read a while ago that there's football has become a lot more technical at the highest level because of VAR, because you can't just have people crunching through with a tackle because it'll be pulled up by VAR. You get sent off and banned and whatnot. So it's kind of allowed this the expressive players to be more expressive. And it's probably, thinking about it, why the Championship is such a physical and tough league is because it's that one drop before the Premier League where you get those really technical players, so you get people going into stuff more. And it is, that is the kind of the grit of the Championship, which I do quite enjoy, where it just sometimes it feels like a proper slugfest. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you get some games where it's just like there's really good battles in midfield. Providing we have midfielders next season, <laughs> that could be quite interesting. But I'm with you on on no VAR. And uh, I remember Bryn, Bryn Law coming on the podcast when we were in the championship and he, he uh, it always stuck with me, but he said the EFL would do well to sort of brand it as non-VAR football because it is it does have its appeal. And VAR is completely, you know, I suppose it's sporting outcome priority, but also viewer priority. You know, it doesn't prioritise in the stadium. And, and for us that go as fans, it's so much better without it. Like, you know, I watched the playoff final at Sheffield Wednesday versus Barnsley. And Sheffield Wednesday had a really good move. They scored a brilliant goal. And it was, and as they were celebrating, like everyone was celebrating, it was flagged offside. And at that level, they're just not used to the linesman. Yeah, letting it play on, and I felt so sorry for. Well, I didn't feel sorry for him. It's your own bloody fault. But it it did just make me feel like, yeah, that at that level, you're so not used to it at all. Yeah, I think the higher up you go as well. Like I am absolutely convinced that like they drag it out to to make it more dramatic for the TV viewer. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of it because there's some decisions like you see them in two seconds. Like you look at it once and you know the decision, and it drags on and on and and like. It's almost like the higher profile of the game, the longer they're taking. Maybe they're just being more careful, I guess. But I don't know. It, it, I, I just hate it. And standing around in the state, like I always go back to that Man U, the uh, the t- the four two defeat when we scored the two goals in a minute, and like they stopped the game for like you know about twenty five seconds just after we'd scored. You know, checking goal completely deflated. Once it was given, then it was you know all fist to the pump again. But like in that moment, it just like completely punctured the atmosphere. Like. Just awful for nothing as well. You know, you could see straight away off one replay that Forshaw got the ball. Great play by Forshaw there, by the way. And uh, and yeah, yeah, they could have just they could have like just not bothered saying let's check it because watch one replay and you can see that there's nothing to check. It can 
take a while or it takes too long for them to come to a decision and that's part of the problem as well is that they're so scared to make a decision that they then even so the refs scared to make the decision and sometimes relies heavily on VAR it goes to VAR they don't want to make a mistake even because it's so scrutinized by everyone the PGMOL fans pundits etc that they take forever on it as well so it's just created this Ah, uh, yeah, stupid long process where it doesn't need to be. I, w- I would quite happily scrap it tomorrow, but it's not going to happen. Well, it is for us. Well, that's true. Uh, yeah, other positives. I, I don't know. Yeah, winning more matches, hopefully. A, po- a promotion push, of course, hopefully. I The positives to me are having a bunch that I feel like we can really get behind. And hopefully, you know, if we get, I know there's so many things that need to slot into place, but if we, they do slot into place, there's a, real good opportunity for us to enjoy some football this year and we haven't watched any many winning games for for a long time and and i think if we can fall in love with the team again fall in love with a bunch of players that all class human beings that we can get behind get some results i think that they're the positives for me that that we've been missing for some some time definitely yeah yeah absolutely one thing i was going to say as well probably like not having to play the uh the Super League teams because that wasn't much fun. But then having said, I realise I've not actually stat-checked this, but I'm pretty confident the only teams that we've not beat while we've been in the Premier League is Manu and Brighton. Like, we've beaten everybody, which is quite amazing, really. Like, there can't be many teams that was up for three years and went down and beat absolutely everybody apart from two teams. Did we beat Arsenal? Arsenal, yes. <laughs> There's probably loads more. I'm pretty sure it's that's it. Just three teams. Just e- e- email us, correcting us. We've we've got a page on the website called Leads That Letters. Send us anything. We'll talk about it. Just don't send us hate mail because that upsets us. Rocco, you've put a note on the sheet here. Future of the old guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get annoyed. I get annoyed when I see like like people say, "Ah, oh, you know, sentimentality got us here in the first place," and I'm thinking, well. We sat Bielsa, that wasn't very sentimental. And <laughs> and the other thing is, like, the, all the players that left are, like, absolute legends and heroes. Like, every single, if any of them would have stayed, like, they'd have, they'd have been, they'd have had the same reputation that everyone who has stayed. You know, we should love the players that stayed more, really, because, you know, they stayed and battled and tried to keep us up, you know. So, yeah, I just, yeah, it annoys me that. I think for the championship, considering we're going to be probably, hopefully, churning over nearly the whole squad or a, a vast majority of them as we saw last season you know not having experience is 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 yeah critical really you have to you have to have some and we have that in the championship we have players that have been there and done it and know how to do it so yeah ailing Cooper Dallas maybe if he's if he's fit and for sure I would absolutely want them there in the squad and in the team if they're good enough. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's easy for people to just, I don't know, it's not a generational thing. I think it's just a person thing where you just think we need better players. And like the narrative that people canvas is they're not good enough. We just need new players. But the reality is, is squads always have depth of quality and experience in them. So the players that you just mentioned there, Dallas Forshaw, Cooper, Ailing, like, it doesn't matter if they don't play every game and we have other players that can play in place of them, but they're still so important because they are the old guard that carry the ethos of the club and they truly understand what it is to be a Leeds player and it is a privilege. And 
I think that needs to be instilled in anyone who remains at the club or comes into the club because they've be, like they've seen the struggle of how tough it was to get to where we were and they know how important it is to everyone to get us back and I don't think there's anyone better to do that you know because even a manager will come in and they won't have that same experience of the club so I think they're integral to the success of it I think and I mean again I mean it sounds like nothing really but you know they're, they're British and if we're having to sign a load of play you know it's quite difficult to to buy home players so yeah I think we need uh, I, you know, I I want to see a, a British core in the team. I think it's important. So yeah, I think we need to keep them. That sounds like our US men's national team followers that fell out with us. It sounds like you're against all them. But interestingly, I read an article that Phil Hay put on the Athletic today about the sort of division between you know English club supporters and US men's national team Leeds fans in particular. But he did make the valid point of you know we talk about. It, it's become a US men's national thing and because of the volume of US players or US people associated with the club he's like well there's probably more Spanish people associated with the club <laughs> but no one makes it no one makes a thing of it being like you know Spanish and it's true yeah you know and it, it shouldn't be a uh, a country thing per se but I get it US men's national team and this is no slate against any of them at all but the culture of football I think is just different and and you know like you look at argentina and you look at south american following and it's just like it's so tribal isn't it and it's and i think it's important to get those sort of values across yeah i think so as well oh we'd have to do man of the match that's a relief yeah god tell me about it well i think we uh, we're going to be back anyway we've got some well there's going to be loads of things happening at the club i think everyone just needs to keep an eye on it and uh, we might have some special stuff coming up as well we'll see so yeah that's probably it for for this week and uh, yeah fingers crossed that everything goes through smoothly and we see you on the other side see you on the other side Network.